There are no words to tell you how excited I am for this series. There's probably not an issue in the entire Bible that I personally am more passionate about than this series. Because I believe with everything in me that every single person in this room was created for greatness. I don't believe God makes junk. I don't believe God makes mistakes. I don't believe God makes screw-ups. I don't believe the things that we go through are by accident. I believe God has shaped you and formed you and put you through the things that you have been through to uniquely equip you for the purpose that he has for your life. It's not something I say because I'm a pastor. It's not something I say because I feel like I have to. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to this topic. God doesn't make mistakes. I've been saying this for 15 years in this city, and every time I say it, somebody emails me and tells me how inappropriate it is. So let me say it again. You might have been a whoops in the backseat of mommy and daddy's car, but you weren't a whoops to God. He knew exactly what he was doing when he created you. <laughs> I believe the best thing that you can ever do in your life is realize that you are exactly how God intended you to be. Matter of fact, I feel so passionately about this that I think the large majority of our issues in life stem from the fact that we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Hurts, because we don't see God. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Habits, because we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Hang-ups, because we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. Insecurity, self-doubt, addiction, whatever it is you want to put label on you that you struggle with in life, self-image issues, anger, temper, whatever it is, it's because when you look in the mirror, you see something different than what God sees when he looks at you. The Bible says this, the psalmist says this in Psalms 130, he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. This is written by David, and I, and I think there's a key to understanding this. David the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. I always tell people, he say, God doesn't play favors. And I say, I don't know that I agree that God doesn't play favors because he truly seemed to love David in a special and unique way. He seemed like he had a unique calling on David. When everybody else saw a little shepherd boy, God saw a king. Yet here's David who did many great things and is probably one of the top leaders in all the Bible. And there's nobody in the Bible who screwed up more than David. David took his screw-ups to a whole nother level. It wasn't enough for David to have an affair. David had an affair and got her pregnant. Then he got her pregnant and said, you know what, I'm going to cover this up. Her husband's out on the, the battlefield fighting. I'm going to bring him home because I'm a nice guy. I'm going to let him have sex with his wife, and everybody's going to think that's the baby. The, hu the husband comes home. He's so loyal to the king. He's so loyal to the fight that he won't even go inside the house. He felt guilty for coming home, sleeps outside the house. David's like, crap, how am I going to cover myself up now? He sends the guy back to the battlefield with instructions, makes him carry his own death wish. He says, puts the king's stamp on it. Says, give this to the general. The general opens it up and says, put him, his name is right. He said, put him on the front line. Why? Because you die on the front line. But Sheba's husband's killed. David comes along as the glorious king. Says, I'm going to take care of her. Oh, look, coincidence, she got pregnant. No one knows anything. David ended up, because of this sin, ended up losing four children as a result of this sin. Over and over, David screws up. Over and over, David disobeys God. Yet he has this security in his life of knowing who he is when it comes to God. And it's because he knew God had made him. 
God had made him fearfully and wonderfully. God had shaped him. He knew he was less than perfect, but he knew the God that he served was perfect. When you get an understanding of who you are in Christ, it's a game changer. That doesn't mean it's a license to mess up. But it's also not a burden to carry and a weight to carry of guilt the rest of your life. You've got to understand the power of you. We spend all of our time trying to build everything and anything, and yet we neglect ourselves in building us. You're the best thing that you can ever build. You ought to focus on raising your children. You ought to focus on your marriage. And you ought to focus on your career. And you ought to focus on doing the things that you enjoy in life. But at the end of the day, you'll never have healthy relationships in any area of your life until you get yourself healthy. Until you get to the point of realizing this is what I'm created for. And this is why I'm put on the earth. And here's what I'm going to do. What if I told you today that you could drastically change the course of your life in 52 days? 52 days from today, is it February 3rd? 52 days from today, your life could be drastically different. I didn't say it would be perfect. I didn't say the relationships would be great. I didn't say there would be no money problems. I didn't say you wouldn't go through heartache. But I said, what if you could in 52 days change the course of your life by discovering the reason you were created? What if in 52 days you could figure out this is what I'm put on this earth for and I'm going to go about doing what I was created for? So what we're going to do, and this is another series like the last series we did. About ten, I told you in the last series about 5% of you were going to get it. This series is going to be about 10%. About 10% are going to get the concepts that I'm teaching you and realizing that they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. That they're sick of living a life of going through the motions. A life of getting up every day, going to work, coming home, going to sleep, getting up, going to work, coming home, going to sleep. That they were created for greatness. And they're going to grasp the concepts here and they're going to live the life they were created for. We're going to hang out in the book of Nehemiah over the next month. If anybody knows anything about me, they know hands down Nehemiah is my favorite book in the Bible. Nehemiah is my favorite character in the Bible. And I love everything about Nehemiah. And I love that in 52 days, he changed his life. Now let me go ahead and give a disclaimer. If you're one of those people here today and you're the best of the best... If you're one of those people who are the brightest of the bright, you're the best looking, you were voted most likely to succeed, in high school you were the head cheerleader, you were the star quarterback, you were the star athlete, if you're that person that everything goes great in your life and you're just simply the best of the best, I want you to hear this. God can still use you. He can still use you, but he specializes in using the ordinary. He specializes in using those that nobody thinks can be used. He specializes in using those that have screwed up. He specializes in using those that everyone else doubts. He specializes in those that the outside world looks at and says, man, that person has no talents. He specializes in using the outcasts, the outsiders, the misfits, if you will. So the best of the best today, I don't want you to quit coming to this series. Don't be discouraged. God can still use you. But he specializes in using us misfits. So Nehemiah, we're going to hang out there. Who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. King Artaxerxes, he was the cupbearer. And you say, what's a cupbearer? Well, here's what a cupbearer was. It wasn't a priest, it wasn't a prophet, it wasn't a king, it wasn't a soldier, it wasn't a warrior, it was a cupbearer. It was a glorified butler. Everywhere the king went, the cupbearer went. If you like wine, you might like being a cupbearer because here's what it meant. Anytime before the king took a sip of his drink, the cupbearer took a sip of the drink. 
So you got the best wine and the best juice and the best everything. Anytime the king went to buy his food, you got to eat it first, and it was the best of the best. And it sounds really great until you realize that the reason you're the one drinking it and you're the one eating it is because before the king touches it, he wants to make sure you're not going to die because it's been poisoned. It's kind of like I tell our security team, this is the easiest job in the church until it's not the easiest job in the church. The cupbearer's a great job until somebody poisons the drink. So essentially, he was a government worker. He made low money. He was of low standing. He wasn't the type of person you would think was amazing. No offense against Nehemiah. It didn't take great skill set to be the cupbearer to the king. But he got to be around the king. And that brings up another interesting point that has nothing to do with this sermon. You want to do great things, get around great people. You want to win in life, get around winners. You want to lose in life, keep hanging around losers. You are now or you soon shall be who your friends are. You show me the five people you do life with and I'll tell you everything you need to know about yourself. Nehemiah, cupbearer, when he got the job, they must have not seen anything special in him. He was a guy, he probably looked decent, he probably wasn't an embarrassment to the king in the way he carried himself, but at the end of the day, it don't take a lot of skill to pick up a cup, be able to sip out of it, and figure out if you're going to live or die. But Nehemiah changes Jerusalem. Nehemiah restores Jerusalem in 52 days. And I can't help thinking, it's funny, I didn't even have that in my notes. I've never thought about that to this moment. I wonder if being around greatness just rubbed off on him. You are what you read, and you are what you watch, and you are what you listen to, and you are who you hang out with. You hang out with miserable people, and you'll be miserable. You hang out with positive people, and you'll be positive. You hang out with people who are hustling and get it done, and you'll get it done. You hang out with people with great marriages, and it's amazing how your marriage will start to change. You hang out with people who know how to manage their money, and it'll be amazing how you start to manage your money. Holy smokes, we could sidetrack all day long on that subject. You are now, or you soon shall be who your friends are. Nehemiah had the honor of hanging around the king every day of his life. He picked up some things along the way. He learned some things along the way. And they began to change his life. The Bible says this in Nehemiah chapter 1. The, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Keslah, in the 20th year. Well, I was in the citadel of Susa. So you're saying, what's Keslah? Keslah's not on our calendar. I get it. That's about late November, early December. That's when this story is taking place. Susa would be like um, our modern day Iran is where that would be at today. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So his brothers come along, he runs into them, just like you would do anytime. Hey, man, what's going back home in the hometown? I had a buddy here the other night from my high school, and he still lives in that town. I said, man, what's going on in Decula? I didn't really care what was going on in Decula. It was just small talk. I really wasn't worried about Decula. I don't think about Decula. I don't give two craps about Decula. I ain't been back to Decula in 20 years. But what else are you supposed to say when you ain't seen somebody in 20 years? Man, what's going on in Decula? That's what he does. He said, man, what's going on back in Jerusalem? And they said to me, those who survived the exile, and I'm going to get into all this in a minute, are back in the providence, and they're in great trouble, and they're in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And what's going on back in the homeland? It's horrible. The walls are torn down. The gates are burned up. There's no hope. We'll get into what, what the walls meant to this city here in a minute. There's no prosperity. There's no business. Things are bad back home. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down. And I wept. For some days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. 
Now let's unpack this to understand the context of it before we get in the sermon, because you've got to understand what's going on to understand what Nehemiah did. The walls of Jerusalem were down. In this day and time, don't read into any political statement that I'm saying. You draw your own conclusions. But here's the deal. In this day and time, the walls were everything to a city. They provided protection for the city. They provided commerce for the city. They allowed the city to decide who came inside the city and who left the city. If people tried to attack the city, it's a lot harder to attack a city when you've got to go over a wall. And the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, and they had been broken down for about 140 years. This was the city of God. It was a great embarrassment to the people of God. Not only was it an embarrassment to the people of God, again, it left them vulnerable to attack. It allowed them not to be the powerhouse that they were created to be. This was kind of like us saying, 140 years, it was kind of like us saying that America has been in disarray since the 1800s. That we've been weakened since the 1800s. So because of this, the people of Jerusalem, the people of God, they were depressed. They felt like they had no hope. There was no point. You couldn't go out and start commerce. You couldn't go out and plant fields because you didn't know what was going to happen. The enemy could come at any time and attack. You got up every day, and your number one thought was not how to thrive. It was how to survive. There was no safety because the walls were torn down. You would get up every day, and because the walls were torn down, you would have the mindset that life was never going to get any better. The walls of our city are broken down. Now, how did this happen? If you know the story of the Old Testament, God told the Jewish people, he said, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you put me first, I will bless you. I wonder if we're seeing any correlations there. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, there'll be consequences. And sure enough, God's people, their hearts became proud. Their hearts became big. They began to think all the success and all the prosperity they were having in their life was because of them and not because of God. They began to worship false gods and false idols and performing all kinds of sacrifices that were displeasing to God. And the Bible says that God is a jealous God. He wants no other gods before him. He wants to be number one. So God said, here's going to be the consequences for your disobedience. And he allowed the Babylonians to come in and wipe out the city and wipe out the people. 140 years before, he took all the people into exile. He made them slaves. Nehemiah was from that remnant. He was probably a grandchild of someone who was taken into captivity. They destroyed the temple, the place where they worshiped God. And more importantly, he destroyed the wall. They destroyed the wall because they knew they could never rebuild if there was no wall. Some years later, the Babylonians are defeated by the Persians. King Artaxerxes comes in, and Persia becomes the dominant world power. And they begin to let some of the Jewish people... Go back to the homeland. So imagine this. This would be like Canton is destroyed. Somebody comes through and they burn the whole city down. And then 140 years later, someone says, you know what? You guys can start going back to Canton. So you come back to Canton. It's got 140 years of growth, 140 years of desolate, 140 years of nothing thriving here. And you come back and you're trying to rebuild, but you can't rebuild because it's just broken. And you can't begin to rebuild because when you begin to rebuild, the enemies from all of Woodstock and the, the enemies from Jasper and the enemies from Roswell, they start coming over and taking everything that we're trying to rebuild because we don't got a wall around the city and we can't defend ourselves. So it's, it's discouraging. It's frustrating. And so this remnant of people that had went back were frustrated. So Nehemiah's doing his thing. He's got a government job. He's comfortable. Don't miss that. Woo! Comfort's a good thing. That's job security as a cupbearer until you die. As long as you can sip, you got job. I see some of you older folks around here do some sipping. So you can work a long time. It's comfort. It's stability. He runs into some people that have come back for whatever reason to the capital. What's going on in the homeland? It's, it's horrible, man. The walls are tore down. The walls are broken down. Now, i got to be honest. If I heard that, you know what I'd say? That's rough. I hate to hear that. Man, good to see you, brother. I got my government job. I got my government cheese coming in. 
I get to hang out with the king all day. And guess what? While the king's busy, I get to hang out with the queen and talk to her all day. And I got a good time. I get to eat good food and I get to drink good wine. And it's good till I die. And if I die, I don't care anyway. Man, good luck to you guys back home. But here's the difference. I wasn't called to go rebuild the walls. Nehemiah was. The Bible says he fasted, verse 4. I heard these things. I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and I prayed and I fasted before the God of heaven. (laughs) This was a Popeye moment for Nehemiah. Now, let's be honest today. We're getting a little bit older. We, I said we. There's a whole generation that is growing up and they don't know who Popeye is. So how many of you say I know who Popeye is? So Popeye was this sailor man. (laughs) He had big old arms. His arms were bigger than his legs. And he had a chick. And she was U-G-L-Y. You ain't got no alibi. Let's be honest. I never understood why they fought over her all the time. I'm trying to describe this. Because Christine, my wife, is so young. She don't know about Popeye. All right? She She knows about My Little Ponies and stuff like that. Popeye's whole nother level old. Okay? Like, there's, there's black and white Popeye. You know what I mean? Black and white, folks, that, that was TV before there was color on it. Okay? And they fought over this lady. And, she, and, and there was another dude that was into her, too. Brutus. Bluto? Whatever his name was. All right? I feel like I've used this example before, and we've had this fight before, to be honest with you. And that shows you right there that men don't care what a woman looks like as long as the woman's a good woman and takes care of you. Because these two men are fighting over an ugly woman. And Bluto or Brutus or whatever his freaking name was would come along, and he'd take that knobby-kneed woman. you got to go Google this stuff. And Popeye would take it. He was like a whipping boy. Until... He'd had enough. And then what'd he do? He'd pop open that spinach. Spinach, guys, is just green stuff. <laughs> they don't got it at McDonald's or Wendy's or any place like that. It's, they say it's healthy. And he'd pop open this can of spinach. He'd squeeze and it'd flop in there and go into his mouth. And all of a sudden his muscles get big and he had a saying. Had all I can stands? I can't stands no more. And Popeye would whoop Brutus or Pluto or Bluto or Goofy or whatever his name was like he wasn't nobody's business. And he'd get his knobby-kneed woman back every single time. This is a Popeye moment for Nehemiah. He's sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's had all he can stand. He's got the comfortable job. He's making the bling-bling with the king. He's drinking the wine and eating the food, but he hears about the hometown is in bad shape, and he can't get over it. I believe he tries to move on from it because I've had some things that come along, and they convict me, and they convict me for about a day, and I move on. I've had some things come along and convict me for about two days, and they move along. It reminds me of an addict. When they get recovered, they start going to recovery. Boy, they're jacked up day one. The shakes start about day three. By day seven, they realize, holy crap, life still sucks and I got to deal with it sober. It's easy on day one. Nehemiah sat down and wept and it says for some days he mourned. He didn't get over it after one day. He didn't get over it after three days. He didn't get over it after seven days. Matter of fact, this happens about December. We're going to get to the end of the story where he starts to rebuild the wall. It's four and a half months later. He steps out and finally says, I can't stand no more. I got to rebuild the wall. And then he rebuilds the wall once he makes a decision in 52 days. And we're going to break that down over the next month. Every now and then something's going to come along and you ink's life. And you're just not going to be able to get over it. You're not going to be able to move past it. 
And you're going to look at it and say, man, I'm sick and tired of living the life that I'm living. And I'm sick and tired of being defeated. And I'm sick and tired of insecurity running my life. And I'm sick of self-doubt running my life. And I'm sick of being broke. And I'm sick of my marriage not being good. And I'm sick of having a good relationship with my kids. And I'm sick and tired of getting up and going to this job from 9 to 5 and making somebody else money instead of doing what I know that 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 I'm called to do. I'm going to live the life that I live because you're going to get to the point in your life where you had all you can stands and you can't stands no more. It happens for everybody. But most of us treat it like it's indigestion. We let it come and it goes away. It comes back and then it goes away. And it comes back and it goes away. And here's what I've learned about pain. I've been having this pain in my elbow. I've been, I think I've been bitching to y'all about it for about six months. But you know what I notice about this pain in my elbow? I don't notice it as much anymore. I'm used to it. I've learned how to sleep in a weird way that makes me keep Christine up all night, but, you know, I'm comfortable. <laughs> I've learned how to, like, pick up things now without it hurting me. You get used to the pain. And what happens is, is we begin to ignore the calling in our life, and at first it consumes us. It never burns out, but it just gets a little easier to deal with. How many people have you met in the last days of their life, and they said, man, my biggest regret is I didn't do X. I didn't do Y. I didn't do, do Z. And they lived their life never living the reason they were created for. I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands anymore. You might look at your marriage and say, man, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands anymore. I'm sick of not having a good marriage. I'm not going to go find somebody else to have a good marriage with. I'm going to have a good marriage with this person who I've been through hell with and who I made a commitment with, and we fought battles, and we've won victories, and we're going to make it work. You've had all you can stands. You can't stands anymore. Some of you, after the last series, looked at your finances and said, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands anymore. I'm sick of being broke. I'm sick of buying things with money I don't have to impress people I don't like. For the first time ever in my life, I'm tired of my money controlling me. I'm going to control it. You might look at homelessness and say, you know what? I can't deal with the fact that there's people sleeping in the woods, and I'm going to do something about it. It might be that you look at addiction and say, I'm so sick of people in addiction going through what they're going through and not having hope and not having, I'm going to do what I can to do whatever I can to help one person. Because we need to get out of the mindset of helping thousands and do for one what we wish we could do for a thousand. Because you'll never get to a thousand without helping the one. Hello. Size good preaching if a white boy is doing it today. I've seen some black ones do it over the years. Ashley, I'm calling you out, but a white one's getting to do it today, girl. Mm. For me, I am sick and tired of seeing people live their life with no purpose. That's me. That's my life. I can't stand to see people living their life going through the motions. And I've devoted my life to helping people discover their purpose. I've devoted my life to see people follow their dream. That's for me. That's what gets me going. I don't know what it is today that gets you going, but you do. And you can keep ignoring it, or you can start chasing it and thriving. Now, let's be honest. Some of you are like me, and you're moved very easily. I want every injustice righted. I want to start every business idea I have. I want to do it all. But I've learned some things, and my wife has learned some things, and we've learned some things together. We've learned that a lot of times that what I have are just simply ideas. And I'm never going to do anything with them. And I don't need to do anything with them. But I've learned sometimes things get swelled up inside of me, and I'm like, i got to chase that. i got to go after that. i got to pursue that with everything thing that is in me so the question becomes today is how do you decipher what's just a good idea and what's the thing you're supposed to give your life to because son I, i've always said i should start a business with just giving people ideas 
I got new ideas every single day. Like this thing right here doesn't shut down. You should live up here for about 10 minutes. You'd become an addict. I've learned some things. I've learned them from Nehemiah. I imagine as the cupbearer, Nehemiah had all kinds of opportunities that opened up to him. Because here's why everybody wanted to get close to the king. This wasn't the first time a good idea had come along. And oh, by the way, the best thing you can do in your life is learn to say no to the good. Because the good will keep you from the great. We stay so busy doing good things that we miss out on the one great thing that we were created for. Busyness keeps us from our purpose. Good God. We've got to ask ourselves some questions to figure out what it is is our calling in life. What it is that we're supposed to pursue in our life. First question we need to ask ourselves is this. Has it moved me to tears. That doesn't always mean physically to tears. But has it moved me emotionally? I hear a lot of things that do not move me to tears. I just got to be honest with you. I've told you this before here at our church. We do a lot of ministries at our church that do not move me. Because they're not my passion. I'm not trying to be cold hearted here. But here's the reality of the situation. If we close down our food pantry tomorrow. I could care less. It's not my calling. But you know what my calling is? To see people live out their calling. And we have people in this church who feel called to that food pantry. They feel passionate about that food pantry. They want to make the trip to wherever it is in East Bumble where they go get the food. And they want to come here and they want to sort it. And they want to get all excited in the first Wednesday of the month. They want to drag the whole entire kitchen out here to the lobby. And, and they want to give it out. And they do it. And you know what? I think it's incredible. But it doesn't move me to tears. I could give two rips if we ever gave another article of clothing out in this church ever. Matter of fact, I, in that particular area, I think I'd be happy. Because, man, clothes are like rabbits. They multiply. And they're everywhere. I bought this nice sports coat the other day, Brandon. It was pimp. Bought it for wrestling. I am convinced that my sports coat, before I ever wore it, got put in the clothing pantry and given out. I'm waiting for some Spanish dude to be walking down with my black paisley jacket. I know that's what had to happen to it. I'm going to jump him, too, when I see it. But somebody has a passion for that. Christy and I will drive by the church during the week, and she'll be like, who's at the church? I look down there, I say, oh, that's Lisa. She's in, the food, I mean, she's in the clothing pantry. That's her crazy team down there in the middle of the week, sorting clothes, folding clothes, separating them by size, blah, blah, blah. They're freaking everywhere. <laughs> I, I, I don't really care if we ever do the homeless shelter again. It drives me crazy. Matter of fact, it drives me nuts. But people here have a passion for it, and we do it. And my passion is to help people follow their passion. My passion, when it comes in the context of Action Church, is to put on a service for those who don't do church to feel like they can come and understand what's going on and feel welcome. That's what I do every Sunday morning. Phil's passion is to get up here and lead you worship in a rocking way. That's why he's the minister of rock around here. It moves you. I'm moved by certain things. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. He literally was broken when he heard what the hometown was going through. It moved him. He could not move past it because the weight in his life was so heavy. He did the very same thing Jesus did when he approached Jerusalem. He was up on a hill and he saw the temple and he saw they had turned the temple into basically a marketplace. They were selling stuff and selling sacrifices. Jesus was overwhelmed. He was overcome with emotion. The Bible says he broke down and he cried. He looked at the people and he saw they have no spiritual leader. They're all these sheep without a shepherd and it moved Jesus. Emotion 
overtook him, and he began to weep over it. Nehemiah heard about this. This wasn't a sniff-sniff. This was like an ugly cry. Anybody know what an ugly cry is? We had a situation in our life that we've kept on the down low, and I'm to the point where I don't give a rat's ass anymore about keeping it on the down low. So we had this little kid in our life, Charlie. Everybody knows Charlie. We've had her since October 1st. Her daddy can't get his crap together. I'm not saying anything you should know because it's all over Facebook. And we got Charlie, and we love Charlie, and we hope her daddy gets his crap together. And Charlie's cute. That kid is the ugliest crier I've ever seen in my life. Like, I have never seen a kid that is so adorably cute. And when she cries, her face sorts of, and you're like, oh. Like, she, it's ugly crier. Like, uh, like I, it's so ugly crying that I, like, I've taken pictures of it. I'm like, I can't believe you said that. Well, I don't give a crap. It is what it is. I ain't never walked on eggshells over an issue in my life. I'm done walking on eggshells. Freaking Gary Lamb, I don't walk on eggshells. You know what I'm talking about, like a lady crying her makeup coming down her face. That's Nehemiah. He didn't have makeup. I bet snot was running down his face. He was rough. I mean, because back then everybody had a beard, so it's all in his beard, and his beard's getting all mad. Like, this was an ugly cry. He sat down and he wept. Because he was so moved. Now, here's what's interesting about these broken down walls. They were a thousand miles away from where Nehemiah was. There wasn't no plane to get there. There wasn't no train to get there. There wasn't no car to get there. It would have been so easy for Nehemiah to do what I've done so many times in my life. That's horrible. Holy smokes, I wish there's something I could do about it. Can't. (laughs) And move on. It had been so easy for Nehemiah to be like, man, that sucks. I can't get it out of my mind. But I got this job. I can't leave this job. People think I'm crazy if I left this job. And if I left this job, how am I going to get there a thousand miles away? That's a thousand miles on my feet. I don't want to walk three miles. Like, I live two blocks from the church. I don't want to walk two blocks. I don't mind walking here because it's downhill. But I call Christine to come pick me up to get me home because it's uphill. Oh, man, my heart goes out to him. There's nothing I can do. No, Nehemiah, man, he was moved. He was broken over it. He was tore up about it. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, good at ducking pain. Can I tell you all a funny story about ducking pain? It has nothing to do with ducking pain. So, you know, you write a certain word in your phone, it always changes it to ducking. I kid you not, my computer, every time I tried to write ducking, kept changing it to the other word. Only my computer would have a dirty mouth. Like four times it kept doing I was like, man, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm good at ducking pain. You know, you're flipping through the station, you see kids that are hungry, you're like, oh, that's horrible. Oh, let me just flip the channel. No, man, I'm hungry now. Let me go eat. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. Just keeping it real. Nehemiah looked at it and said, this ain't okay with me. I can't deal with the people who come back home when they're broken. I can't deal with the despair they're in. I am moved by it. My heart is broken over it. What breaks your heart? I asked that question on Facebook this week. Over 700 responses. What breaks your heart? Children in poverty broke people's hearts. Marriages falling apart broke people's hearts. Addiction broke people's hearts. Abuse broke people's hearts. People's own sin broke their hearts. I mean, it was bam. My whole plan was to like put it in a spreadsheet and give you stats. It was too many and I was too lazy, so I didn't do it. (laughs) If that's a skill set for you, let me know in the future and I'll let you check out the 700 responses and do it. What breaks your heart? Because here's the deal. What breaks your heart might not break my heart. What breaks my heart might not break your heart. People look at me all the time and say, why do you care so much about people living their purpose? I don't know. It's what gets me going. It's what what moves me. I had a dad my whole life who stressed me, do what you love, do what you love, do what you love, because he was miserable and did what he hated. 
I never listened to anything my dad said except that. I'm going to chase every freaking idea I've got. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a blast doing it. And sometimes they work. And sometimes they don't. I don't care. I just had fun trying. And I want to see other people have that excitement about it. I'm bad about it with my wife. My wife, I have an idea, and I want her to live her call. Mitch, you have an idea, and next thing you know, I've got URLs and this. I'm like, here's what we're going to do. She's like, I, I didn't really care about that. Like, I was just telling you, wouldn't it be cool? I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. She goes, it might have been a passion. You just ruined it for me. I'm like, oh, sorry. Sorry. What moves you? People talk about the injustice of the distribution of wealth. You know, why is one part of the world so wealthy and the rest of the world doesn't even have running water? One person said they were on a mission trip and they watched a baby die who could have lived if they had a shot that cost $5. And they were moved by it and started a nonprofit to make sure kids in this country never die from those shots. What moves you? What moves you to tears? That's the first step in realizing what you're created for. But it's not the only step. And what's going to happen is you're going to ask yourself, why does nobody else care about this? Because it's not their calling. Then you get angry about it. It's not their calling. I tell the people that do the food pantry, no one wants to come up here. Not their calling. It's your calling. You put the burden on your shoulders and you carry it. So many people come to me and say, Gary, you know what you ought to do? Nope. <laughs> you know you're laughing because you've done it to me. <laughs> Gary, you, nope. This is what I do. Let me make this as clear as possible. I'm not starting a Bible study. I'm not starting a youth group. I'm not starting a Wednesday night worship service. I'm not starting any other crazy idea that you have. I'm not against any of those things. I'm not starting it. I do this. Don't put your voodoo on me. <laughs> don't get mad that I don't want to do it. It's not my calling. I don't get mad that you don't want to preach. I don't get mad that you don't want to deal with the headache of running this place and dealing with you crazy folks. We all have different callings. What moves you? What moves you? What brings you to tears? What can you just not get over? Second thing is, after it's moved you, have you prayed about it? That's key. Well, it moved me. A lot of things moved me. But have you prayed about it? Have you sat down and made sure that you made sure that you made sure it wasn't just indigestion? When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed. I know people who see a need and it breaks their heart and they never do anything with the need. They say, because I don't think there's anything they can do. Here's what you can do. You can pray. You plus God equals world changing. I've had a lot of things move me in my life that I started without prayer and they all fell apart. But when I sit down and I begin to pray about it and I don't get impatient... Nehemiah prayed, remember it was four months from the time he heard it to the time he went and implemented it. When he got there, he built the wall in 52 days. I wonder why he was able to build it in 52 days, because he prayed. And we're going to get to the next point in a minute, and you're going to see that he was prepared. He bathed it in prayer. He made sure he wasn't running on emotion. He made sure he wasn't running on feelings. He made sure this is something I'm willing to see to the end. God, have you called me to do this? What moves you to prayer? Some of you are going to get this series and it's going to ignite a passion that you've never had before. Or I'm going to, it's not even going to ignite the passion because the passion's already there. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to give you permission to pursue your passion. Because the world doesn't give you permission. They tell you to just get rid of that. Be practical. You got a family to support. Boy, you got that and you got a good job and you got wine to drink and you're the cupbearer. Just, man, stay there. You got a good thing going. But you know there's something bigger in you. You know there's a calling in you. And you've got to get down and you've got to pray through that. <laughs> so then I said, I, I said, what am I supposed to do? I just cut hair for a living. No, 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 no. Are you crazy? You cut hair for a living. Who, bartenders and hairstylists. You've got more influence than anybody in the world. 
You know everybody's gossip? Everybody's issues? Imagine you're a leader and you get to shape people and pour truth into their life when they're battling with lies. Someone said, I just, cut, I just mow yards for a living. No, 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 no. Man, listen to me. You're a secret agent for God. Disguised as a yard man. But he told me, he said, I thought in my life I was just called. I just, just was a yard guy. He said, but I began to have a, a passion and a heartache for people that got out of jail and they had felons and couldn't get jobs. Listen to me. He now has 230 employees. Oh, that's, that's impressive, ain't it? 211 of them are felons. He's never had one issue. He's never had one problem. See, you can have the mindset that you're just a yard man, but it might be you being a yard man so it opened up the door for what your calling in life is. Can I be honest with you? I don't care if you're a felon. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, you can't get a job, man. I'm, that's on you. Guess why? Because it ain't my calling. It's not that I don't care. It's just not my calling. Thank God it's someone's calling. Next week, I'm going to show you from Nehemiah that you're a leader. You might not think you're a leader. Because we define a leader as someone up front. That's not always a leader. That's a part of being a leader. And it's one aspect of a leader. And it's one type of leader. But everyone here is a leader. And I'm going to show you from the Word of God and from Nehemiah how you're a leader. The third week of the series, we're going to look at how you deal with op opposition. Because guess what? When you start pursuing your dreams and you start pursuing your calling, boy, the critics are going to come out like crazy. When you think everyone else would be excited that you're doing, uh, and when you, they should be excited what you're doing and, and think it's the coolest thing in the world. And, oh, my God, look at them pursuing their dreams. Man, they're going to come out and criticize you like nobody's business. That's why you better be prayed up. Fourth week of the series, we're going to look at how you deal with distractions. Because if you're like me, I'm like, oh, squirrel. Christian's like, I thought you were doing this. I was doing that. But now I'm over here. I took a left-hand turn. Then after I took the left-hand turn, I took a right-hand turn. Under the left-hand turn, I went around a roundabout and got on the wrong exit off the roundabout. Now I'm over here, man. I'm doing this now. How are you going to deal with distractions? Let me tell you the power of prayer. I'm going to share with you a story I very, very rarely share. More than anything in my life, professionally, let me say that, professionally, more than anything in my life, I know that I know that I know that I know I was called to Canton, Georgia. I know it. The day I met her, I said, I'm never leaving Canton. I'm called to Canton, Georgia. I'm not leaving Canton. I've had job offers to leave Canton. I'm not leaving Canton. Fifteen years ago, I was called to Canton. Did you know that before I moved to Canton, I prayed and I fasted? That means I went without food. And every time I thought about food, I prayed. I fasted for 39 straight days. I told nobody. I lost so much weight. People thought I, they were telling me to go to the doctor. Man, do you have cancer? Do you have this? See, I wanted to go 40 like Jesus, but I knew I'd get arrogant if I went 40. So I was like, ah, I better stop at 39. That's just how my mind works. Even I can't even do something spiritual without being arrogant about it. And uh, 39 days. And I don't say it to brag, I say it to say this. Through that 39 days, it was clear to me that I was to move to Canton, Georgia. It wasn't clear to me that I was to start a church. It wasn't clear to me that I was to start businesses. I was just called to Canton, Georgia to minister to people. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. Anytime a job offer comes to another town, I just tell them no, because I know what I'm called to do. Now, there might be a day that God releases me, but it ain't been any time yet. But you know why? Because I prayed about it. There's power in prayer. When was the last time you stopped and you didn't without food and you fasted over something? And oh, by the way, this BS about I fasted from television. <laughs> Fasting means to abstain from food. I abstain from sugars. No, you went without food. Now, if you're going to do a 39-day fast, you need to go to the doctor. Be smart. Anything over three days, you probably go get a doctor and get checked out. But I tell you what, now I'll tell you this. That was 15 years ago. I've never made it one day fasting since. I haven't because I never felt that moved about something. I needed to know where God wanted me in my life. Never doubted it. My heart broke for this town the first time I came to it, and then I prayed about it. Third question, and we're going to go home. After you weep about it, after you pray about it, are you actually willing to do something about it? Are you willing to take action? Talk is cheap, baby. 
Everybody can live in the clouds and dream. Wouldn't it be so great if this and wouldn't it be so great if that? And we love in the clouds and you got to believe in the clouds every now and then. But every once in a while you got to come out of the clouds and you got to get in the dirt. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on clouds and dirt one day. You got to get your you got to get your hands dirty. You can dream about it all day long. I'm, I'm the dreaming king. But when I get out of the clouds and I get in the dirt, that's when you know I'm serious. That's when you know I'm ready to put my money where my mouth is and my time where it is. And I'm ready to go to my wife and be like, hey, I'm ready to leave these clouds up here. It's been cool laying on this therapeutic cloud. I'm going to roll off and get down in that dirt now. I'm going to make this one happen. Verse 2, and I didn't give these verses to Xander, so you're just going to have to, this is chapter 2. I forgot to give them to Xander. In the month of Nisan, April, so four to five months later, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when he, wine was brought before him, so Nehemiah's in front of him, wine's being brought before him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. He's around the king all the time. The king notices something's wrong with him. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. You're not ill? What's wrong with you, man? You having some problems at home? King finally felt comfortable. He's like, man, what's wrong? King loved Nehemiah enough to be like, man, what's wrong with you? Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. He should have been afraid. That was the king. He could have lost everything right here. This is a pivotal, 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 pivotal. I like pivotal better. That's in Gary's world, it's pivotal. Okay? This is a pivotal moment in the life of Nehemiah. This is the point of no return. Do I squelch it and just keep being the king's cupbearer? Or do I say I've had all I can stand I can't stand no more? He's wept over it. He's prayed over it. That's not enough. You got to do something about it. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. You always butter him up first. May the king live forever. Hey, king, I'm about to spring it on you. Man, you're looking good today, brother. Digging this job. Hope you, you do good. But why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? King, why should I not be sad? My hometown's in ruin. The people that I love, family of mine, they have no hope. They have no future because things are bad there and nobody knows what to do. And the king said, what is it you want? Whoo! I call this the big ask. He's got one shot. Most of you don't have the testicular fortitude to put the big ask on. You need a hundred grand to chase your dream, and someone asks you, What do you need? And you say, Oh, 10 grand. They were going to give you a hundred grand. Well, what do I need? I need you, perfect example, Fave Oils. Fave Oils made a mistake one day. She came to me when I said I was going to start a wrestling promotion and said, What do you need? I said, well, funny you asked. I need you here the first Friday of every month. And I need you to run the door. And I need you to run the concession stand. And I need Alan to run the security team. Basically, I need you to do everything that happens. And guess what she said? Okay. What if I'd have looked at her and said, I don't know. I'll just get, could you come run the concession stand every now and then? I don't have to worry about it ever. I bet she regrets asking put that big ask on her. Now here's the deal, she could have said no. If she said no, I'd have lost nothing. But she messed up and said yeah. <laughs> I prayed before the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it, Nehemiah's a pimp, if it pleases the king, hey king, if you're cool with this, if you're not, I get it. Buttering him up. He's a leader. I'm sure he learned how to be diplomatic from hanging out with the king. It pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried. 
so that I can rebuild it. What do you want, boy? If it pleases you, I want to go rebuild the walls. You know the walls that you tore down? The walls that you sent some of my people back there after a while, but if the walls got rebuilt, might become a threat to your throne? I want you to send me there where I can rebuild it. And the king did it. I'm going to show you next week we're going to get into that. After spending time in prayer, after spending time being brokenhearted, he didn't just sit around and keep having prayer meetings. I'm just praying about what you've been praying for four years. Do something. Do something. King, I'm distraught. I need your help. If you want to read the backstory, like I said, you can go back and read chapter 2. But notice, Nehemiah was afraid. It's okay to be afraid. Your dream ought to be so big it makes you afraid. If your dream, matter of fact, if your dream's not big enough where it scares you, it ain't big enough. He went to the king though with a smile. Y'all to always go for the king. Y'all to always go through the person who can make your dream a reality with a smile. Don't go with an attitude like they owe you something. There will always be one point person in your dream. There will always be one key in your dream. Kill them with kindness. May the king live forever. Butter them up. But take action. King, I'm not asking you to send someone else. I'm not going to sit around and whine about it for the rest of my life. King, I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to sit around and complain about homelessness anymore. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to sit around and whine about there's no place for addicts anymore. I'm going to start a place for them. I'm not going to sit around and whine about my spouse and my marriage. I'm actually going to change me because I know when I change me, it'll change them and my marriage and make the test. I'm not going to sit around and talk about how my kids don't connect with me. I'm going to change where I connect with my kids. I'm not going to sit around and whine about my nine-to-five job and how I hate it and how miserable I am about it. I'm going to grow the testicles enough to step out and chase the dream that I know that is in me. There has to come a time and the point in your vision in life and you wink that you step out and actually do something just do it I'm telling you some of you are going to get a vision during this series some of you are never going to be the same because of this series I intentionally put these series back to back because you got to get your finances in order first that might be that four-month period, that period where Nehemiah was. And then you're going to step out and chase your dream. The world's going to be different because you step out and follow your vision. That misery you feel in your heart is going to become your ministry. As long as I'm alive and as long as there's breath in me, I'm chasing this with everything that I have. And it might not be to come the thing that you do the full time. You might have a ministry and your full time job allows you to do your ministry. I don't feel called in life to put on barbecue festivals. I don't feel called in life to put on wrestling shows. I love them. I have a blast doing them. My wife doesn't feel called to go do car shows. She loves it. She loves cars. It's right up her alley. But all those things give us the flexibility and the finances to do what we feel called in our life to do. For me, it's this, and for her, it's different things. What are you called to do? What do you got to do to put yourself in a position to be able to do it? All those voices are going to come along and say, don't, don't tell the king what you want. Don't ask. What if they say no? They probably will. You might have to ask 99 people before the 100 says yes. But oh my goodness, when they say yes, 
when they, I tell I share this, he's walking, so I'll say the story. So me and Phil had beef in the old day because Phil was wrong and I wasn't. And um, this is like 10 years ago. And so we're looking for a worship pastor when we start the church. And I, I asked like 15 people. Now, I knew none of them were as good as Phil. But I kept seeing Phil show up on my Facebook. Friends, you may know. I'm not asking that guy nothing. Everybody kept saying no. We needed a worship leader to lead one service. One service. I said, I can put up with that jerk for one service. I said, hey, buddy. Want to come lead worship? His response. Yeah, I'll come lead worship my way. I do what I do and we don't talk. Or whatever he said. Whatever jerk Phil's saying, he said. He was wrong, I was right. He came one time. And seven, eight years later, could you imagine anybody else leading worship here? They might keep saying no, but eventually when the one person says yes, God knows who's supposed to say yes. I thank God every day for that grumpy person. (laughs) I'm just an ordinary person, Gary. No, you're not an ordinary person. You're a person called to do extraordinary things. You just haven't invested in you where you have the confidence to do them. What breaks your heart? What are you willing to pray over? And what are you willing to step out and do?